we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. To call to hot, the opinion seems to change like the weather. This is Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse, always a beat ahead. Climate change has been the excuse for imposition of government regulations and restrictions on how we live our daily lives, showering, light bulbs, you know all that drill. And in 2020, California's Governor Gavin Newsom, my guy, haha, signed an executive order to have all new passenger and short distance shipping vehicle sales in the state be all electric by 2035, 13 years from now. The policy piles on to regulations that were adopted to take all of its commercial trucks electric by 2045. I mean, this is a pretty lofty goal, considering that today California has 31 million cars with only 1 million EVs. Moreover, this last summer, 2022, the governor asked us not to charge EVs to spare the overstressed energy grid. Then, of course, we have the quandary of what to do with the old lithium-ion batteries. The U.S. healthcare sector admits more greenhouse gas emissions than any other nation. And given all the disposable products we use in healthcare, it's reasonable for offices and hospitals to improve and protect the environment by not wasting energy and water and reducing paper and plastic products. Now, expanding telemedicine and digital modalities has been offered as another solution. I mean, eliminating commuting costs, that will certainly contribute to saving the planet. But what's more important for the patients, good medicine or saving the environment? A recent study in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that patients who had telemedicine follow-ups after an ER visit were more likely to return to the ER and be hospitalized than patients with in-person follow-up. So ultimately, this would add to medical care costs because of the repeat visit in-person, which adds to the carbon footprint. Medical schools have really jumped on this bandwagon now over the last couple of years. They've added climate change courses to the curricula. According to the University of Massachusetts Medical School, Climate change presents an unprecedented threat to human health and human life. Record temperatures, surges in national, natural disasters, changes in ecosystems, and disruptions in infrastructure will continue to grow throughout our lifetime. According to Harvard School of Public Health, Climate change threatens the ability of medical providers to deliver care due to extreme storms that interrupt care, as well as the health harms of air pollution. Some observers have predicted food shortage due to climate change. 
and then this will harm patients. But I wonder, will climate change courses be like the diversity, inclusive, inclusivity, and equity, one-sided critical race theory teachings? Will both sides of the story be told? Is climate change merely another avenue to make everything racist? Today, we are fortunate to have an expert in climate science and policy to explain it all. Dr. Sterling Burnett is the director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy, and he's the managing editor of Environment and Climate News at the Heartland Institute. Dr. Burnett earned his BA in this, I'm so impressed, in cultural anthropology from Southern Methodist University and his PhD in applied philosophy with a specialization in environmental ethics from Bowling Green State University. Prior to joining the Heartland Institute, Dr. Burnett worked at the National Center for Policy Analysis and served as a member of the Environment and Natural Resources Tax Force in the Texas Controllers E Commission. This fellow knows what he's talking about, and I'm honored to have him on the show. Welcome, Dr. Burnett. Thanks for having me. I, when you first reached out and I saw it was a medical program, I thought, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm not a medical expert. But uh, I see how it all fits in now, because I, I have also seen the disturbing uh, trend of uh, a largely esoteric scientific uh, discipline that's been corrupted, leaking into other, un, you know, really largely unrelated fields. Why, why they should ever teach a course, you know, honestly, they probably aren't qualified to teach a course in climate change in medical schools, but why they should ever think they need to is uh, is amazing to me. I'm not going to feel more comfortable, comforted knowing I've gone to a doctor who, rather than studying, I don't know, human anatomy or uh, cancer cells or whatever else they teach in medical school, uh, that they that he took time out away from those studies uh, that pertain to my health to study climate change so he can lecture me on my carbon footprint. <laughs> well, thank you. I, when I was in medical school, I remember starting it. I didn't major in science and uh, I just thought there is so much information to learn mm -hmm. and how am I ever going to get this in my head? And, and that's just two years of basic science. And then you have the two years of clinical. And so what you just said is so true. You've got all these things that you need to learn in medicine. And as a patient, it's sort of like, I want my doctor to know about my anatomy and physiology. And if they want to read about climate change, that's their business. But here we are. I'd like our listeners just to get a little background, I I remember, I'm old enough to remember the cover of Time magazine back in the 70s where they said, will we be freezing by next winter? And it was supposed yeah. to be global cooling. Yep. Tell us a little bit. I mean, we had an ice age not that long ago. And how does climate, you know, forgetting about man for a moment, how does this whole climate thing work? Yeah, well... 
Um, let's be honest. It's it's a it's an ancient geological story. <laughs> We're not going to go through all of Earth's <laughs> history, um, but I also remember the seventies. Uh, I'm I, I was a I was a youth then. But I remember the 70s, and I remember when we were going to be running out of oil, when the waters were too polluted to swim in, or going to be, when, in fact, uh, I saw predictions that New York would be underwater already by 1990. Um, So-called experts have made doom and gloom predictions since uh, Malthus wrote his tome saying, you know, uh, almost 200 years ago, uh, that the earth was going to be uh, would not be able to feed people uh, very shortly because the population then at, at probably a billion or less uh, was too high. We're now at 8 billion. People are still being fed. It's not to say no one's hungry, but we produce more food than the caloric intake necessary to feed everybody. There's problems with uh, you know uh, who grows the food, how it can get to them, stuff like that, but it's not because there's not enough food. Um Going back to the 70s, it, it, the, the, the truly sad thing about that prediction, because I remember that Time Magazine cover. Look, they were predicting the coming of the next Ice Age. And to be clear, historically, uh, in I'm going to call it the recent history, by which I mean not 50 million years ago or 150 million years ago, but the last, uh, say, 500,000 years. Uh, we've gone through multiple glacial and interglacial cycles, and the glacial cycles lasted 100 to 150,000 years, and the interglacials lasted 10 to 12,000 years. We came out of the last ice age uh, about 12,000 years ago. And so when it started to cool in the 70s, they thought we were headed back to the next ice age. And the truth is, we might be. I, I don't know. Uh, but that was based on a very, very small time slice of uh, temperature data. From the 1970s through the early 1980s, the Earth was cooling by a modest amount. It had warmed dramatically uh, from the 18, between the 1850s and 70s and the 1940s before that, because we came out of something called a little ice age. Um during an ice age, temperatures go down eight or nine degrees Celsius. Um, in the little ice age, they went down about uh, two, two degrees Celsius. And what we know from recent history, and by recent history here, I'll say the last two or 3,000 years, people don't do well during little ice ages, during cool periods, and they thrive in warm periods. The Vikings didn't create so-called permanent settlements on Greenland uh, <laughs> during a little ice age, they created it during um, the the Roman optimum, um, and those permanent settlements were abandoned when the little ice age came on, or they were actually abandoned in an earlier little cooling period. Um, so, um, we've gone through these cycles, and we came out of a, what was called a little ice age around the 1850s to 1870s, and the Earth, as it always does when you come out of these things, started to warm, having nothing whatsoever to do with humans, nothing. We started pumping greenhouse gases, significant amounts, into the atmosphere in the 1950s. That's when large-scale industrialization really took off, not just here but elsewhere. And... um 
Yet, for the next 30 years, the earth was cooling. And so these same experts warned that we were headed to, a, to the next ice age. And we were overdue. You know, geologically, we were overdue. Um, and then things changed. And it started to warm, once again, modestly. And so those same experts flipped the switch and they said, oh, we're heading to the, uh, we're, we're global warming. We're causing disaster that way. The funny thing is, no matter what the disaster is, are we running out of oil? Are we cooling? Are we warming? You know, are the seas rising? Are they falling? Is there too much snow? Is there not enough snow? The solution is always the same for these guys. A, they know the answers, even if those answers change in 30 years. Uh, B, the answer is always bigger government for the problem that they're looking at right now. Boy, uh, you said that. And, and they so, won't they won't come back and say, oh, yeah, gee, we were wrong about what we said in 1970. Oh, no, they do. They do, to be fair. Someone like John Holdren or uh, or uh, Steve Schneider, the late Steve Schneider. Um, you know, Holdren was Obama's uh, science advisor or, or was it Clinton's? I think it was Obama's science advisor, one of them. Um, he wrote a book about the Ice Age. And they said, yeah, yeah, well, that's what the data said then. Now the data says something else. Mm -hmm. uh, we go with the data we have. But they have no sense of history. Well, okay, and the data before that said one thing, and the data before that something. No, it's always, we look at this very, very small slice of data, and we and we have now developed these wonderful computer models that we make ever more complex, um, and we plug in all these assumptions about things we don't know, and they produce an output, and it tells us disasters in the offing. And when people point out, yeah, but if you plug in a whole different set of parameters, the computer models still produce a disaster. They don't they don't say, oh, well, there must be something wrong with the computer models. It's, no, no, no. It's like, uh, uh, are you going to believe your lying eyes with the data are now telling you? Or are you going to believe the models? You should believe the models. And it's like, well, hold it. That's not how science, that's not how any other field of science is supposed to work. Now, I've, I've noticed, um, I don't follow you're you're the, you're in the medical field. I'm not, but I have noticed a lot of retractions in medical journals for papers recently, and I've noticed articles writing about the huge number of retractions that they've had to make in medical journals, which tells me the peer review process has broken down. Um, Absolutely, you know, and it's interesting you talk about looking at the science. I'd say, whoever heard the term "follow the science" so much until these last couple of years with COVID. Where again, no, uh, your folks, at least as you say, have admitted that they said one thing and now they're saying another. Dr. Fauci will not admit that he jumped the gun with things to do with COVID. So, this whole follow the science thing, I hate to see it jump specialties. You know, will this be the, the new normal where people just make up stuff or let? tell you that a computer model is the same as real life yeah well that's the problem with the whole there, there's two problems with the idea of follow the science a the people preaching that have no idea what the science is that's that's no small problem uh i mean they 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 think computer models are science as opposed to tools that help that should help us inform about 
science, but science is built upon data, hard data. And we have hard data. And the hard data shows something quite different from the computer models. And they say, oh, follow the science. The science is computer models. No, that's wrong. Computer models aren't science. They're not, they don't provide scientific evidence. Data does. So the, the problems are, and the second problem with that idea of following the science, besides that they don't know what science is, um, is it, at a political level, we are precisely not charged in our constitution, in our laws, with following science. No one gets to tell me that I have to do something because science says so. We have something called freedoms in this country. And if we don't want to follow what our medical practitioners tell us, we have the right not to. Well, people, you... people tell me all the time, there's, there's, it, there's one thing to say, follow the law. <laughs> well, I can be punished if I don't follow the law. I, and if I disagree with the law, I can, tell, I, can, I can vote. I can become a lawmaker. I can do all sorts of things. I can protest. But follow the science. Science is supposed to inform my actions, not dictate my actions. It's supposed to help us live better lives, not tell us of what better lives consist. Well, after the break, and I'm glad you talked about having better lives because I'm going to tell folks about it. But after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what other scientists think about climate change, and you can help us define what climate change really is. Well, this, what I'm going to talk about, I've talked about before, is Cofix RX. This is a nasal spray that was developed when the COVID whole mess came out, and it's basically made with iodine, which is a strong antiviral. It kills bacteria as well. And this combination in Cofix gives you the right combination of iodine, some vitamin D, and some xylitol, all of which can help with immunity. And we got to remember that about 95% of us get sick by inhaling these bacteria and viruses through our nose from the air. So using Cofix, you squirt it a couple times a day, and I always use it before I go out to the grocery store, go out, you know, where I'm going to be around a lot of people. Um, it helps you. And nobody can swear that something's going to work 100% of the time. You know, it'd be foolish to do that. But, you know, we're talking about science and data. This works and it works for a lot of people. So it's my recommendation that you at least give it a try. And one of the best parts about it, it's invented in the USA and made in the USA. So check it out. We've got a little box on our Pulse page and just click it on and you can learn some more about it. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. 
Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation, that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com, where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. So right now, we are going to learn some more about climate change, some of this terminology. Um, I have to admit that listening to how words have changed, it went from global warming to suddenly climate change, and it's like all these words and phraseologies that we come up against. Abortion is now reproductive health. Uh, physician-assisted suicide is now aid in dying. I mean, they come up with these words, so we're going to find out. Euphemisms. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's, indeed. It, 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 you, it, we don't yet. We. I'm sorry to have interrupted. No, but, no, but, but go we, for it. We, but don't, I, <laughs> we don't yet live in Orwell's world, 1984, where literally there's a, well, actually there is a microphone in my house. Hopefully it's not broadcasting <laughs> government, but, and there's a camera in my house. Hopefully it's not broad. I, I was about to say, we don't live in a world where there's broad, you know, microphones and broad cameras in our homes, but there is, we live in that world, but it's not, they're not yet controlled by government. I don't think. <laughs> so um, we don't like quite live in the Orwell's 1984 world, but as far as news speak, that's here. <laughs> that, that's here you know pronouns them they um i i, I saw a, a commercial i mean I, I i guess i don't want to get too far afield but i've got to say when doctors don't assign gender at, at birth they they look at uh, a person's physiology and they say it's a boy or this is a girl but based on what how that's defined they don't flip a coin and say ah well i've decided this is going to be a boy that's not how it works but some medical uh, drug companies are advertising things. This doesn't, this may not work. This has not been tested on people assigned a certain gender at birth. Oh, that's the uh, new terminology. I mean, get with the well, program, that's what I'm Dr. That's what I'm saying is, 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 uh, is it, it, it's newspeak. It's, it's Orwell's war is peace. Love is hate. Uh, you know, uh, male is female. Uh, global warming is climate change. Climate change is a disaster. Climate is climate crisis. It's 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 always conf the new speak confuses matters. We had a clarity of language at one time, especially in professions. 
Absolutely. Where terms, where terms meant certain things. And, you know, it, it's really not that hard. I, I've, I've spoken at many college classes on climate change. And I say, look, this is what any, um, any student in public or private schools probably learns in middle school about how the scientific method works. I said, you tell me if I'm lying about how it's supposed to work. You have a phenomenon you want to explain. In this case, climate change. The, in this case, a modest rise in temperature. And you develop a hypothesis that what might be doing it. And then you develop a theory as to how it's working. But then it doesn't stop there. Then you test it against reality. You, you know, your theory should make certain predictions about what will occur if your theory is true. What should be happening and what should happen in the future? And if your theory makes 100 predictions and 99 or 90 of them turn out to be wrong, your theory is probably not very good and you should not cling to the theory and try and explain away the contradictions, but you should develop a new theory. And in almost every other field of scientific endeavor, that's what they do. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I understand that drug manufacturers want to make a profit. I've got nothing against profit, but when they put something out there and it, and, and in testing, it consistently produces the wrong results. They don't typically still try and bring it to market, at least not to treat that particular illness. Uh, and if they do, they end up getting sued and having to pull it from the market. No one's suing these alarmist climate scientists for making repeatedly wrong predictions, saying, follow the science governments, do something based on what we're telling you. And then their predictions consistently being wrong. You, you went through a whole litany of uh, horrors at the beginning. Um, hurricanes are supposed to be worse. Tornadoes getting worse. You, I mean, you said natural disasters are getting more frequent, more severe. And the problem is that is what the computer models say should be happening based on warming, based on uh, a projected warming, based on carbon dioxide levels. The problem is it's not, in fact, what is happening. Uh, not the problem because it's a blessing that these bad things aren't happening to us. It's not that we don't have hurricanes today. We do. But you know what? We had hurricanes before anyone ever heard the word climate change. Uh, it's not that we don't have tornadoes today. We do. But they, we had, we've had tornadoes throughout history. Um, based on computer models, they try and link every hurricane or tornado or flood or drought now as if they had never happened before to climate change. And they say, they say that they're getting worse. But when you check the data, they're not. Hurricanes are not more frequent or powerful now than they have ever been in the past. Tornadoes, there's no evidence whatsoever that tornadoes are increasing in, in number or power. Floods, not more frequent. Uh you know, the, the you can go through the litany. Droughts. Oh, my gosh. You know, we heard a lot about droughts in California uh, last year and the year before. 
and wildfires in California last year and the year before. You know what? Uh, we had fewer wildfires this year. Are they going to blame global warming for fewer wildfires? <laughs> we had lower hurricanes this year, far lower than were projected in May. Uh, they said we were going to have a busy season. We had a very slow season. Only one uh, uh, powerful hurricane made landfall, and only another, and only a single other hurricane at all made landfall. Category one. Can Two I stop you, Dither, just yeah. for perspective? How far back? Have people been keeping this sort of data, you know, where you can look back 1800s, 1700s? Well, it depends. It, it, no, it depends on the category, right? It depends mm -hmm. on the category because different what things are measured in different ways. But we can go, what we have is proxy data. So you can go look at um, tree rings for wildfires and droughts in places that have long-lived trees. You can look at... Um, uh, you know, bore samples, boreholes in ice or in uh, soil and in swamps. And it turns out in uh, coastal marshes and things for things like hurricanes to see what the history of hurricanes was. And when you look at the history, uh, I, I came across, a I read about a study just this week. When you look at the history of hurricanes, for instance, uh, it turns out hurricanes were more, far more frequent and powerful 200 years ago and 300 years ago than they are today in the Atlantic Basin. That was during the middle of the Little Ice Age. Mm. But that's what the latest science and data says. That, if when that comes out, they should immediately say, well, hold it, that contradicts what we've been claiming, so let's re-examine it. They don't do that. They ignore, they're ignore they going to ignore this research that was just published in a peer-reviewed journal, um, but they're going to ignore it. You won't see that showing up. You, you, you've been reading, you read the paper, did you see that front page anywhere? Did you see uh, CNN or uh, or uh, MSNBC or CNBC? Any of them covering that story? I didn't. Never. They ignore inconvenient science that doesn't support bigger government, more powerful, uh, giving more power to uh, the politically connected scientists. If it doesn't support that, they don't want to hear it, and they well, punish those. <laughs> They, they they punish anyone who who might publish it. They try and get them fired as editors. They don't give they don't give tenure to professors who research takes them down that path. Uh, I've never seen so many journals because I read these science journals. So many journals pub so many uh, reports and studies published in journals wherein the research says something very clear, like hurricanes were more um, powerful and frequent in the past, or uh, California historically had 200 year droughts and, and then at the very end of the story, so they don't get, so they, a, they can get published and, and B, so they can get tenure. They say, but we're not saying climate change isn't happening and, and it's going to be even worse than ever before. And it's a disaster. We, we, we agree that we're just saying our research doesn't show that, it, you know, that, that, uh, you know, <laughs> that similar things haven't happened in the past. Uh, even if they weren't writing about climate change and the causes of, they have to have, they have to genuflect to the climate change God and say, uh, you know, put a disclaimer on their studies. They should have said nothing in these studies about climate change, about modern climate change. That's not what their studies were about. But because they realize, and because the journals realize that the implications of their research is, well, hold it. If this has happened in the past when periods were cooler, 
how do we know humans are causing bad things today if they're not, in fact, worse than they were in the past? Uh, they realize that's the implication. And so they have to add these 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 disclaimers. And it's it's embarrassing. Well, it's, you know, it's so interesting to me. I think about the volcano eruptions, the one in Iceland, then way back when there was Mount St. Helens and ash from Mount St. Helens. I had a friend who lived in Oregon, and she said her clothes were dirty for 10 years. And they talk about human pollution. Well, what are you going to do about volcanoes erupting? Well, <laughs> ask, the people, ask the people in Mauna Loa right now, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Or or in in, in uh, Iceland or Finland where there was a big one that erupted recently. Uh, oh, but you know, uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not saying humans can't change the climate on a local level. We do. I mean, we have. We've altered the climates on local levels. A um, hundred and fifty years ago, where I live, uh, which is a, you know in North Texas, in North Texas. We were part of what was called the Southern Great Plains. And in the Southern Great Plains, there weren't a lot of trees. We were the plains. And there weren't a lot of trees because, A, uh, the Indians uh, burned trees to get rid of them and to set you know set fires to restart the grass. And, B, there were millions of buffalo roaming through here. And they kept trees down and liked grass. Now, uh, uh Dallas has 200,000 acres of trees, and it, there's evidence that we get more rainfall now than we did 150 years ago because we've altered the regional environment. Uh, <laughs> we can disrupt ecosystems on a local scale, but the idea that adding a small amount of a trace amount of gas into the atmosphere is going to not just affect temperatures, it, it, you know, if, if if greenhouse gases work like they're supposed to, it should affect temperatures a little bit. But the idea that that will have all these cascading effects, increase temperatures more and produce disaster, there is no evidence for that. Not just in human history, in geologic history. Historically, we have had CO2 concentrations 10 times what they are today. Most plants evolved when CO2 concentrations were much higher than today. Plants rely on CO2. Um, and at some of those times with much higher CO2, the earth was cooler than it was today, much cooler. And at some times with periods of lower CO2, the earth was warmer than the CO2 than, than it is today. There's never been any evidence that CO2 drives temperature. It just in the past 500,000 years, you know, Al Gore, you, you watch his movie, An Inconvenient Truth, and he has this, this really fascinating chart from a borehole that shows CO2 and temperature seemingly coinciding over the past 500,000 years or so. And uh, what, if you blow it up and you look at the details, it turns out CO2 almost always follows, the rise in CO2 almost always follows the warming, not precedes it. Wow. That is data, folks. That is truth. That is factual. You can't, it can't be challenged that this has occurred that way historically. And yet they flipped it on its head and say something just di different is 
is happening today, and they're basing it all on computer models. And if you look at the data, if you look at what they say in these massive UN reports, every report comes up with a different range of factors they say impact the climate. So they'll say, uh, you know, they'll do all the trace gases, CO2, methane, nitrous, nitrous oxides, CFCs, and then they'll say clouds, water vapor, uh, um, the sun, um, particulate matter, SO2. You know, they'll give you all this range of things that could affect the climate. And 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 you know, early on, they were pretty honest in these reports. They'd say, uh, "And this is the range of impacts that we expect," because they never said this is the this is how this is directly how it affects it. It'll move it by three degrees, or it'll move it by two. No, they'll give you a range. It will go up by one to three degrees. This should affect it down by a half a degree to a full degree. You know, they give you this beautiful chart with a tells you all the factors. The factors change from report to report. That tells you something they don't know everything that goes into climate. They have different ranges from report to report. <laughs> so they don't really know the impacts. On occasion, the, the ranges have even flipped where in one report, uh, a factor was expected to decrease temperatures. In the next report, it shows it increasing temperatures. Um, but then out to the side, they tell you, they have this, their confidence, what I, I would call a confidence interval, but they say how, basically it's how well they understand that as a factor. And it turns out the only things they understand well by their own account, they say factor, very well, factor, very well, factor, poor, factor, not very well, factor, poor. The only things they understand very well are greenhouse gases. All the other things, more than 75% of the factors they say affect climate, they don't understand very well. And they're not studying them. Why? Humans have no control over them whatsoever. Wow. On so that, it's like oh. it's like you have a problem and the mm -hmm. only tool is you have is the hammer. And so you say the hammer's the solution for the for this problem, even if what it needs is a wrench or clamps because it's a hose. You wouldn't fix a hose with a hammer, but CO2 is the only tool they have. Hmm. Well, we're going to come back and on this uh, final segment, we're going to, I want to ask you about some of the fossil fuel alternatives and oil drilling and what's so bad about oil, what's so bad about fracking and all sorts of stuff that seems to be setting environmental policy. And I, we've both said it and I'll say it again. So much of the policy doesn't seem to comport with what's really going on, but is just an excuse for regulation. So I'm thanking everybody for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. If we, you know we are always a beat ahead, and anybody who listens know we've got the apps on Apple and Android and Alexa. We're on every weekday at 5 with an encore at 10 p.m., Eastern Time, and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. You can listen on your way to work. We also have the shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. That's my favorite part. So you can listen whenever you want and pass the link on to your friends. 
The episodes are on Apple and Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So easy to find and right there on the website. So make it easy. Bookmark AmericaOutloud.com forward slash pulse. The lineup has, that's the other thing I like about the show. It's a different person every night. I'm on on Mondays, Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays, we have, they're called Concerned Doctors, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays with Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Out Loud. Thursdays with Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. So again, listen any night of the week or listen to the podcast. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Now, back to the disaster of climate change. It's, it's so funny, doctor, because you talk about how everything just seems to be a crisis, a disaster. But these things have been going on since men were around, before men were around. What did men add to it? How did our oil oil drilling change things? Go for it. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> we've added a lot of uh, carbon dioxide to the atmosphere uh, with, with coal use for electricity. Uh, and uh, oil and gas for transportation, largely. There's no question about that. We've we've uh, we've increased carbon dioxide uh, uh, measurably. Um, now, has that been bad for the planet? There, there's the sticky part, right? The, I don't I, I don't know anyone who says that we haven't added significant amounts of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, but, but carbon dioxide even then is still just a trace gas. The 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 green the, the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, carbon dioxide make up total less than two percent. Water vapor is the dominant greenhouse gas. Ninety six to ninety eight percent of the atmosphere is water vapor. We have no control over that. Uh, so we we impact a very very small amount of the greenhouse gases. We've added significant amounts, but it still makes up a, a, a slice a sliver of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and um, no one that I know disputes that the climate has been changing recently. Um, 
But we look back at history and we find out, guess what? The climate was never, there's never been a period in history where climate is stable. We measure climate change in 30-year periods. And you can look back in 30-year period after 30-year period after 30-year period. If you look back from the 30, the, you know, they, they talk about 1992 to 2022, right? Would be the 30-year period now. But typically they, because we're, uh, you know, we're not caught up with 2022, they start a little, a little earlier and stop a little shorter. So the 30-year period before that, if, if they had been worried about climate change, they'd have been worrying about cooling. And the 30-year period before that, they would have been wor worrying about warming. 30-year period before that, they would have been worried about warming. But mm -hmm. then they would have been warming, worried about cooling the 30-year period before that. Because that's how climate is measured. Um, it's, it's the average of weather conditions over 30-year periods. And they tell nothing about global climate. It's always local climates, right? Mm -hmm. The desert, the desert Southwest, not over 30 years or 60 years or 100 years, has been the desert Southwest. Uh, I haven't looked, but I'm guessing for more than a thousand years. Uh, it was the desert Southwest until the last I, true ice age when glaciers came down and, and, and it was an ocean. So that was about 12,000 years ago slowly came out of that and for the last few thousand years it's been a desert that hasn't changed um uh, florida was a peninsula off the north american continent for the past several thousand years <laughs> that hasn't changed uh so it, it you wonder sometimes what they're talking about when they talk about climate change they say it's a global phenomenon except it's not changing everywhere for everybody so it's clearly not a global phenomenon that what they're focusing on is local changes primarily that they think affect them, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you have a coat, if you have a home on the coast, you're very, very concerned about sea level rise. Um, or President you, Obama didn't certainly worry about that. I was just about to say, or you'd think they would be. Uh, <clears throat> I have a theory though. Obama bought that because it's an investment. He's overinsured it. And when it floods during the sea level rise, they'll be rolling in even more money than, than the graph. They, uh, <laughs> well, that's, they're, that's they're a good, that, right? good theory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's inexplicable why he would buy a house on a coast that he says was going to be underwater when he was president. So uh, <laughs> you got to come up with a theory for that. That's mine. Um, or the other, you know, the other theory is that he was just a hip hypocrite, right? <laughs> right. He, he really so, didn't believe somehow it. Somehow I'll some, go with that had, one. He had something else going on. Um, but um, so we developed fossil fuels and they made our lives immeasurably better. Let's talk about what it would, uh, we'd have to get rid of more than 4,000 products if we stopped using fossil fuels, because more, that's how many products are literally made up using, not, not as a fuel source, but as a component part. Uh, of oil or natural gas. Natural gas goes into every modern fertilizer. It's a component part of every modern fertilizer, of every modern pesticide. We don't have modern agriculture if we don't have natural gas. Um, all the plastics, you, you, you're, you're a doctor. So imagine hospitals without plastics. Well, it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have much, right? 
uh, I've seen these films from just 40 years ago where they were using these huge syringes with glass uh, uh, shots. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting in um, look at my time. I'm, uh, it's like, oh, talk about dating yourself. I You never see an IV bottle anymore. Well, when I yeah. first started, IV bottles were glass bottles, which was yeah. terrible at good old San Francisco General because the drunks would come in and when they wanted your attention, they would grab their IV bottle and fling it across the room. Did get your attention. Yeah, and created a, <laughs> and created a human health hazard, right? We, we moved away from glass in hospitals as soon as we could. It was better than no shot at all. <laughs> it was better. It was they, they, glass IV bottles were better than no such thing as an IV bottle. But as soon as we could get rid of them, we did. And how do we do it? Through plastics. Plastics. Right? And plastics are made up using fossil fuels. Um, the plasticizers in other, in soft plastics, are made up using fossil fuels. Uh, and, and, you know, just your modern, I'm, I'm recording this right now on a computer. I, I sit in front of you with a mic and it has a mic attached. So the mic has wires that are all covered in insulated with plastic. The computer case itself is all plastic. Uh, the connections are, uh, and all of this is made from fossil fuels. I, you have none of this. So they say, oh, we got to get rid of fossil fuels. So you get rid of modern hospitals. They, they, they've done that. You know, look, they don't have fossil fuels in many developing countries. And they don't have hospitals. <laughs> you you don't want to go into a a a, a, um, a difficult labor in the middle of the night in many African areas because you don't have a hospital to go to. And one of the reasons you don't have a hospital, well, you're you're impoverished and you don't have power. But they don't have. They may have a clinic, but guess what? That clinic can't run a refrigerator to keep medicines cool cold that need to be cold. <laughs> and they don't have the machinery running. You know, they don't have their your your MRIs or your CTs or your X-rays because they require electricity, and electricity has to come from somewhere. And if you're reliant only on solar power, then you don't have it at night, and um, you don't have enough, and and you don't have enough. And and look, this that's why hospitals even with hospitals are jumping on board with this green energy crap, and many of them are. There's not a single one of them that I know of that says, and we're going to get rid of our uh, our uh, oh, Generac generator backups, like the, whether they're diesel, diesel or natural gas generators, because those things come on when the hospital power flickers or when a tornado or hurricane hits or a flood occurs. They can't be without power just because it's inconvenient to the power system running on wind or solar. So they've got fossil fuel power generators if it's good enough for hospitals it should be good enough for every one of us and i think it's immoral for people in the west to worry about whether there's an additional six inches of sea level rise 100 years from now and so telling african uh, poor people in africa and south america and asia you've got to do your children have to continue dying from preventable uh illnesses or causes today that could be solved by using fossil fuels and modern energy systems They've got to continue dying today so we don't get our feet wet a hundred years from now. 
because well, we don't want to build, totally we don't want to build seawalls or we don't want to, or we don't want to, uh, or the chemicals that we use to make our lives good. Well, they may cause cancer. So because your great, great grandchildren may get cancer. If we keep, if, if you, we allow you to use these chemicals, um, you can't have them. Well, so look what happened they when they, when they took away DDT yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, we don't want these chemicals in the air. Well, what's worse, the kids getting sick and people getting malaria and encephalitis because you haven't killed all these um, mosquitoes. Uh, it, it, it is interesting how we impose our will after we're doing okay mm. and not to let them climb out of, uh, you know, the last century or the last it's, two it's, centuries. It's, it's, it's immoral green colonialism. Absolutely. Well, now the, the boogeyman now, just because it really was quite the revolution in energy production was fracking. Explain well, what fracking is. Well, you have pockets of oil and natural gas um, in some areas like my home state of Texas, uh, we've been fortunate. We had big pools of oil and pockets of natural gas. But we have been using those for a while now. And uh, a technology was discovered to, to release other pockets of natural gas and oil from uh, sort of widely, that are, that are in these fissures that are widely scattered. So if you had to sink a well in a pool, in a pool, you're sucking it all out of the pool. There's that great scene in uh, "There Will Be Blood," where you, I, I drink your milkshake, <laughs> right? Well, that's when there's a pool. But in shale rock, um, there aren't pools. There are little bitty pockets. There are a lot of them, but there's no one place that you could sink your straw and 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 get it all. So they came up with horizontal drilling which means rather than going straight down, you're going down and then across uh, an area and uh, and fracking to, to break open the rock. And then through the use of some fluid you put in there, you push all those little pockets into, uh, into uh, you know, uptake and it's then drawn out. So we produced all this oil and gas. When I, uh, uh, when, when frack, before fracking was applied to natural gas, um, this was uh, in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Uh, the prediction was, once again, we're we're about to run out of natural gas. We only have 40 to 60 years left. That's what I was. That, that that's what the the um, common belief was. And uh, at the time, at one time, I was interviewed. Uh, this is anecdotal, but still, one time I was interviewed, and gas prices at the time were were 14 dollars per. Uh, 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 million BTU or, or billion BTU, $14. They had gone up from around $1.75 to $14 in less than a year. And they said, well, it's, it's proof. Uh, uh, we're running out of natural gas. Proof. We're running out of natural gas. And I said, no, 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 no. Look, I believe in markets. I believe that we can solve this. I, I believe that uh, I firmly, I'm firmly convinced that if we don't, uh, place unnecessarily restrictions on, on, on natural gas producers. Uh, if we open up federal lands to, to, to new drilling, um, then we can get the price of natural gas back down to eight to, eight to $9 per million BTU. Eight to $9. Um, I haven't looked, but I'm guessing they're around $2 today. So 
even I who was who was I was grossly considered to be an optimist. They were people were just laughing at me. Like I turned out to be a huge pessimist because we created fracking and it created a whole new way to gather natural gas. Um, now, if we went net zero, because that's the common thing, we got to go net zero. Some of them want us to go zero, not net zero, which mm. means no production. Well, I don't know how you do that with eight billion people breathing, but um, that's another story. Um, just by the by, for yeah, anybody just, who doesn't yeah. know, we every time we take a breath, we exhale CO2. Yeah. So Anytime I guess we you, could all hold our breath forever. And I used to have a colleague, and I swore I was going to do the same thing, and I haven't done it yet. But he he actually had a CO2 reader, and he'd go in and we give it, and he'd give a talk. And he'd say, how many of you have been told that CO2 is pollutant? It's a toxic gas. And all, all the hands would go up. He'd say, oh, yeah, every hand goes up. And he'd say, uh, what's a safe level of CO2? And Oh, the pre-industrial level was 270 parts per million. Yeah, okay, okay. He says, what do you think the CO2 uh, level in, in this, you know, how many of you are dying right now? Can't breathe. Like, they look around and what are you talking about? And he goes, well, I've got a CO2 reader and it says it's 400 parts per million in here or 700 parts per million in here. He'd say, and then he'd exhale over the reader and he'd go up to 1500 parts per million. So that just came out of me. How am I not dead? <laughs> and then he'd pass it around and let them do the same experiment. It, it's it, CO2 is not a toxic gas. It's not a danger. Uh, it's necessary to life on earth. But uh, they want to go to net, let's say just net zero. Let's not say zero. Let's say net zero. Uh, if they did that, it would take us back to get there. We'd have to go back to CO2 emissions that we were producing in the 1820s. Now, I suppose the conditions that we lived in in the 1820s were better than the conditions we lived in in, say, the 1400s or the 1300s. But I don't know anyone who thinks they're better than today. And I'm not any. I'm not in any rush to get rid of indoor plumbing, uh, or all the advances that we've had. You know, microwave ovens. I live on a microwave oven, man. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know anyone who says we got to get rid of all that. We want to live like our ancestors did. You know, 180 years ago. That that we have to toil, and uh, we we give up our. You know, ask your. If you got kids, folks, if you got kids and they come to you and they say, oh, we're destroying the planet with CO2, you've got to stop living the way you do. Take away their cell phone. Well, thank you. And thank everybody for listening. I just want to remind folks about the new feature we have, which is questions. You can send them in just, you know, with your regular email. First names are okay. And we'll either email you back or give the answer on the air. And uh, you can ask it of the host and the host can ask a guest if it's something the host doesn't know. So please take advantage of the new feature. And I just like to say, be sure to share the show, whether you agree or disagree. And thanks again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.